You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. There is a place where time stands still, where nature is harsh and demanding, where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, everybody. This is Annie for 3CR's showreel film program, look at uh, the Australian film industry and things that are going on. And you would have already heard, because you're great listeners of 3CR, that uh, the station's going to be in lockdown starting Monday, going to the 15th of April. Well, that's as it stands at the moment. That means that a lot of the programming will have to be sorted out before the uh, three weeks hiatus. Uh, Showreel will be giving you some programs, but there may be a little bit of overlap with some uh, previous times. I've got some good material, but uh, they'll be specials rather than uh, a li- live events. So, uh, But we'll carry on, as they say. And uh, hopefully you will find that our programming over this period will help you get through any of the uh, sense of uh, foreboding that you might have about uh, needing to uh, swim through this uh, uh, virus time, this time, a very strange period of uh, history really. Uh, Everybody in lockdown working out ways to get through three weeks or longer so that uh, there isn't a spread of COVID-19. But uh, people at 3CR are going to continue. Uh, We're going to hopefully bring you some new programming but we'll certainly be able to give you quality uh, uh, spoken word to help you through and music to help you through this period. So don't stop listening. We're still here, we're just uh, doing it in different ways. Um, I've got a couple of uh, things to offer you today. I've got, in fact, I've got four double passes to something called Happy New Year, Colin Burston. And it starts today. It's uh, at uh, Nova. Nova isn't closing down, which is interesting. So uh, they will be uh, possible for you to uh, use. Uh, you have to wait until the end of the program and give us a call so that I can take your names and addresses so I can send them out for you, OK? Now, it's an English film and it's courtesy of Limelight and it's uh, all you have to do is uh, present the tickets and they'll let you in. Uh, it's a comedy... No, it's not. It's not a comedy, really. It's actually a... a and a, a family drama set in England where uh, quite it's got some pretty uh, great people in it, uh, including Charles Dance as a cross-dressing uncle. Uh, it's all about a, a complicated family all meeting together in uh, an unusual location 
uh, at the behest of uh, Colin Burston, and uh, we get to see all the various elements of the family as they um, unfold and then fold back up again. It's uh, it's beautifully put together, I have to say. Uh, um if you have family problems, <laughs> you will relate. <laughs> but anyway, if you want to give us a call, uh, the number is 94198377, 94198377, and I'll send them out to you. Uh, I, but ring after the uh, uh, program's over so that I can answer the calls because we seem to be shorthanded today. It's probably COVID-19's fault. Anyway... And if you're a, um, a Melbourne Cinematheque person, if you're a member of Melbourne Cinematheque, they've sent out some interesting information about, as a response to the uh, COVID-19, uh, ACME and Melbourne Cinematheque have decided to temporarily suspend screenings at the Capitol. And if you haven't been to the Capitol yet, that is a uh, treat still in store for you. Lovely location. Now, of course, Cinematheque's got a fantastic... A series of films that they show and if you uh, are a member you are able to go to a whole range of events throughout the year and they are a treat for people who love movies because they serve up extraordinary uh, array of uh, old films by top directors and they uh, it really is a smorgasbord of uh, brilliant cinematography and uh, directorship and acting. Fantastic. Uh, the It's the, uh, what is it, the um, sound landscape that all other films are built from, generally speaking. But anyway, they are going to create a virtual cinematic and they say they're not going to replicate the season slated for 2020. They're going to uh, stick together a weekly calendar format of double di- uh, double bills that showcase classic and contemporary films. Uh, every Tuesday, they're going to release details of their weekly virtual cinematheque via Ace, Acme and Melbourne Cinematheque social media. So the films will be chosen by the Melbourne Cinematheque Committee and ACME's film department, and where possible, they are going to accompany annotations and introductions for screening because, of course, that's what Cinematheque's all about. It's about film education as well as enjoyment. Um, they're going to do their best to choose from f- freely available and accessible platforms. And for those of you who want to create the communal experience of watching as a collective, there is a free program called MetaStream that allows you to invite your friends to watch at the same time from your respective homes. Anyway, if you want to, you can be part of Virtual Cinematheque. Go on to Cinematheque via Acme and Melbourne Cinematheque social media and find out more. I just thought that that was a really pleasing and interesting sort of development when it comes to having to be in lockdown over a virus, new technologies, how do they work? How does it make it happen for people within this context? Anyway, moving right along, we're going to now go to something that is also a little bit historical in a way. This is called the Stanley Halls Award. Now, Stanley Halls was a documentary film producer and director, and he was the first 
administrator for the what is now called Film Australia. But this is the where the history comes in. He was born in London in England and died in Sydney, and he's best known as the producer-in-chief, 1946 to 1969, of the Australian government's filmmaking body, which was named in 1945 the Australian National Film Board, and then in 1956 the Commonwealth Film Unit, and in 1973, when he re- after he retired, it became Film Australia. And that's where the history comes in. It tells you a little bit about the way the Australian film industry and many of its technicians got their skills. And also how uh, the, how the uh, crop of um, historical footage uh, from those periods come from and why it was important for there to be in this context, in the Australian context, to have a film unit like this. Anyway, there's an award for uh, named after him called the Stanley Halls Award and it's given out every year to uh, people who are uh, at the top of their game as documentary filmmakers. And one of them was this person. My name is Pat Bisk. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I've made lots of films like Rocking the Foundation, For All the World to See, Love, Marriage in Kabul, uh, and many more. Show your love, subscribe today to 3CR. That's right. And so Pat Fisk was one of them, and so a range of other people as well, uh, oh, including fantastic filmmakers like uh, Bob Connolly and Tom Sabritsky and Rachel Perkins. Anyway, uh, t- this year I was at the uh, – it was given out at the Australian International Documentary Conference and uh, it was given to Janine Hoskins. And I just happened to be there and I thought it was a fa- fantastic way of introducing to you – one of the uh, important people from the past, but also one of the important people of the present. So it's my pleasure now to introduce uh, the co-chair, Susie Jones, to the stage, who will be presenting the Stanley Hawes Award. So please give a round of applause. So I have the great privilege and honour of presenting uh, the uh, Stanley Hawes Award this year to the very deserving, the very talented, the very lovely Janine Hosking, And before I invite her to accept her award, I just wanted to say a few words about her. So factual filmmaking is a broad church, and there are not many people who can operate so deftly between the many worlds it encompasses, from the commercial networks to the public broadcasters to the world of theatrical docs. There are not many people who can boast this slate spans topics as vast as the Miss Nude Australia pageant to concert pianists to country music icons. And there are not many people who can do all this with the grace humility and good nature that Janine does. As an independent award-winning producer and director with more than 18 years' experience, Janine is widely admired for her sharp observations of human frailties and talent for unearthing the microcosms of stories and introducing audiences to worlds never seen before. Janine won a Walkley Award in 1997 for her seven-network story on Jandamara O'Shane, In 2014, her feature documentary, 35 Letters, screened at the Sydney Film Festival, where it won the DAF Award for Best Documentary. Other directing credits include My Khmer Heart in 2000, which was shortlisted for an Oscar nomination and won the Hollywood Discovery Award. She directed and produced Ganja Queen about Chappelle Corby and I'm Not Dead Yet about country music icon Chad Morgan. 
She also produced the pageant in 2008 about the Miss Nude Australia pageant, which I loved. Hosking's documentary, The Eulogy, which she wrote, directed and edited, is an innovatively crafted and disturbing and provocative tale about one of Australia's greatest and least known concert pianists, Geoffrey Tozer. It had a world premiere at MIFF in 2018 and was nominated for Best Documentary at the 2019 Actors. There are many, many other projects Janine has her hand in, too many to mention, but it's also worth mentioning that Janine is a huge champion of the next generation of filmmakers and she's incredibly generous with her knowledge, talent and, and time. The Australian factual sector is very lucky to have you in it, Janine. You are smart, thoughtful, generous and a joy to work with. You're endlessly curious and have that rare and wonderful quality of taking things seriously, but also finding humour in the everyday, but never at anyone's expense. Congratulations on this award. It's very well deserved and we all can't wait to see what you do next. I'm not sure if I can live up to that, <laughs> but I'll try very hard. Excuse me, I've got to put glasses on. It's at that stage. Okay, here we go. When Alice from AIDC, who's been doing all the intros here, contacted me to inform me that I'd won the Stanley Hawes Award, my first reaction, which I didn't express to her at the time, was, oh my God, is my career over and nobody's told me. <laughs> this fade to black moment reminded me of a film I'd made several years ago about the legendary country music singer, Chad Morgan. It was titled, I'm Not Dead Yet. Chad proudly considered himself an outsider and when his industry decided to present him with a Lifetime Achievement Award, he was pretty pissed off. But I tried to reassure him that winning a prestigious Golden Guitar Award was the honour for which he should be truly grateful. I remember he cursed and replied, I just want to make my bloody music. I don't want to get caught up in any bloody machine. I now realise that Chad and I suffer from a rare condition known as a Lifetime Achievement Award phobia. <laughs> and we hate speeches. <laughs> but I decided to check out the past recipients of the Stanley Hawes Award and I was relieved to discover that most of them are still leading fulfilling and creative lives and that all of them, and I say this um, sincerely, every single one of them have inspired me with both their films and their support of the Australian documentary industry. Julia Overton, a fellow Stanley Hawser recipient who's uh, here, I think, was the first to send me an email when she heard the news. She was writing from a typically glamorous setting, the Berlin Film Festival, of course, and her light and breezy message read, Congratulations, glad to see you'll be joining me and Tom, that's hub hubby Tom Zabriskie, at being whores. Anyway, in order, to <laughs> in order to write this speech, I went down the deep rabbit hole of researching the industry I've been working in for more than 20 years. And as I drowned in all the ongoing debate about too many foreign formats and greedy overseas producers taking our offset money, my friend, producer Jennifer Cummins, had some straightforward advice. She said in her charmingly Jennifer way, You'll be fabulous, darling. Um, for God's sake, you're a storyteller. Just tell a bloody story. So here's two stories. One's an uplifting one and one's a horror story, <laughs> which I think is pretty much the documentary maker's lot in life. Um, at the very beginning of my filmmaking career, I was very fortunate that the queen of documentary, Sheila Nevins, 
who was then the head of doc at HBO, picked up my very first feature documentary. The film was called My Khmer Heart and it was self-funded with a producer named Leonie Lowe. Set in Cambodia, My Khmer Heart told the story of Australian Geraldine Cox and her fight to save her orphanage and this was a film that would gain me entry into the rarefied air of documentary Nirvana. Sheila's strategy for releasing films allowed them time to build a solid reputation at international film festivals, which hopefully would lead to positive reviews, then awards and prestige for both HBO and the filmmaker. She was my very first documentary champion, a force of nature with 28 Oscars under her belt. I often wondered what would happen, would hap sorry, I often wondered what would have happened if Sheila hadn't discovered that film and encouraged me to always think big. I went on to make other films and a recent one stands out with a journey far more challenging than that of My Khmer Heart. And I, I wanted to tell this story for the filmmakers in the room. It's about a feature doc titled The Eulogy, which Susie mentioned. It took me and my fellow co-producers Katie Grusevin and Trish Lake several frustrating years to raise the budget and you all know what that's like. The film was inspired by former Prime Minister Paul Keating's controversial eulogy to the Australian classical music pianist Geoffrey Tozer. He was a genius who died alone in poverty and in his eulogy to Tozer, Keating blamed the arts establishment for Tozer's tragic demise. He said in that eulogy, the managements of our major orchestras should hang their heads in shame if anyone needs a case example of the bitchiness and preference within the Australian arts scene here you have it, he raged. Well, eight years later, we filmed my arts hero, that Prime Minister Paul Keating, recreating his eulogy in St Pat's Cathedral in Melbourne. But he declined to be interviewed, insisting his final words on Tozer were contained in his eulogy. Despite its mod modest budget, our film had many, well, you know, many stakeholders with opinions. <laughs> Some, the generous ones, declared the rough cut a masterpiece that just needed a few tweaks and a couple of hours out of it. <laughs> Another, who will remain forever nameless, lamented, can't you make it more like searching for Sugar Man? <laughs> well, unfortunately, Tozer is well and truly dead and he will not be rediscovered happily playing Beethoven in the Dandenongs. Paul Keating was invited to participate in a public screening where after the film was shown, he would answer questions in conversation with arts presenter Leo Schofield. He definitely didn't want the director on stage. Keating had seen the film several months prior to this public screening and he'd been warm of his, in his praise of it, although he was not entirely comfortable with the telling of some of the darker periods of Geoffrey Tozer's life. So on that fateful night in a sold-out cinema, the former Prime Minister rose to a standing ovation from an audience who clearly appreciated the story of him championing an artist. But as he made his way to the stage, I was starting to feel pretty sick. At this point, for those that you, who are not aware of Paul Keating, I'd like to give you a bit of a backstory for context. In 1992, when asked by the then opposition leader in government, John Hewson, why he would not call an early election, Paul Keating replied, because I want to do you slowly. <laughs> so there was Paul Keating sitting on the cinema stage with a microphone about to unleash hell. He had a few problems with the film. 
Apparently the filmmakers had a diamond in Jeffrey Tozer, but instead the director, me, had chosen to interview too many zircons. <laughs> I gathered the zircons he was referring to were Tozer's former lover, his family, his friends, and classical music heavyweights who didn't see Tozer's story in quite the same way as Keating. And as Keating hacked into the zircons, picking them off one by one, I sensed worse was to come, and it did. <laughs> I hate reliving this, really. <laughs> okay. Keating accused me of the worst crime a documentary maker, at least one that's trying to be serious, could ever commit. He proclaimed that I'd used the devices from reality TV to tell Toza's story. And apart from trying to imagine Paul Keating uh, watching The Bachelor and studying its format, <laughs> his critics, his critique, sorry, had hit me hard. As filmmakers, we open ourselves up to raw criticism and sometimes it's not at all easy to take. Post-screening, I courageously avoided Keating and instead consumed many margaritas. <laughs> this is true. And the, more I <laughs> and the more I drank, the more I regretted not making a hagiography. Well, not really. <laughs> but it's a high-wire act that, docu that documentary filmmakers deal with every day when editing their stories. What is fair? How can I show compassion and empathy whilst portraying the truth? Many demand simple answers to tangled questions, but the colour of the truth, at least in my opinion, is nearly always grey. So yes, making documentaries sometimes seems to be completely thankless, and that's why it's important for me to acknowledge just some of the people, because there's not enough time to name them all, all those collaborate, collaborators who've helped along the way. But I'd like to thank the talented producer, Robin Eastwood, who's not here today, but she's always been a supportive and wonderful friend. To my partner, Stephen Hopes, he's my biggest champion and the films I've mentioned wouldn't have been made without him. Thank you to the broadcasters who've commissioned and acquired our work over the years. A big thank you to the team at Create New South Wales, particularly Andrea Albrick and Sally Regan. Thank you to Screen Australia for its ongoing support, particularly through its enterprise program, which has allowed me to employ and mentor an up-and-coming filmmaker named Katrina McGowan, who's just come up with a wonderful idea for an original series that'll soon be commissioned. And thank you to US producer Mitchell Block, another person who's become a close friend, who many of us at AIDC know. It was Mitchell all those years ago who recommended to Sheila Nevins that she watch my cut of My Khmer Heart, and he was the one that really started it all. I'm going to wrap up because I know that you're really dying for Gordon. So <laughs> I'll just finish this up. Finally, I would like to dedicate this award to one of my interviewees, the feisty Lisette Ngo. Lisette was a 79-year-old French academic who featured in my documentary, Mademoiselle and the Doctor. Although healthy and not depressed, Lisette wanted to die a peaceful death at the time of her own choosing and before she became frail and bed bedridden. She called it rational suicide. Her philosophy was daring and it was provocative. Later, I would mourn her death, but I knew in my heart this is what she wanted. It is one of the films I'm most proud of because it pushed the boundaries of my thinking and my filmmaking. And it's a reminder that none of us here today would be filmmakers without people like Lisette. Often referred to as characters or talking heads in pitch treatments, the real flesh and blood people, the reasons why we all strive to make films, that authentically portray all the rich complexities of the human condition. So for the record, I'll happily continue to interview 
both the Zircons and the Diamonds. <laughs> Thank you to the AIDC for this award. Um, I didn't mean to take the piss. I'm, I, I am very honoured. And um, good luck to everyone with the pitching. Go hard and don't give up because it's tough out there. Thank you. Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. That's it for Showreel this week. Coming up next is Published or Not, and we're going to go out with a bit of Chinese thrash. Whoa, 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 You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to www.3cr.org.au.